This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Idea City Podcast. For more information or to watch talks online, go to ideacity.ca or check out the Idea City channel on YouTube. Welcome back. In this episode of Idea City on the Air, Derek Reedley speaks about changing the face of cannabis culture. Now, let's join Moses Neimer as he introduces Derek to the stage. So, our next speaker is Derek Raydell. So, Derek's doing something interesting. Generally speaking, when we discuss marijuana, people talk about the product, they talk about the law, they talk about the science. Uh, Derek's interested in the culture that surrounds the product and his interest is to elevate it in the eyes of society. Darren, go ahead. Thank you, Moses, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Everything is a little bit better when I'm stoned. That was the takeaway of the New Brunswick Telegraph Journal uh, after last week's inaugural World Cannabis Congress held in St. John, New Brunswick, and it pissed me off. I'll tell you why. 450 of the brightest minds in cannabis from around the globe descended on St. John. There were policy leaders, there were political leaders, there were CEOs from all over the world. We had Ann McClellan. We had Vicente Fox. We talked about the future of an industry. We learned more and more about the legal environment in Canada, what the landscape will look like, We made connections and we made deals. We unveiled the Global Cannabis Partnership, a nonprofit organization that is tasked with creating a worldwide social responsibility standard for the safe and responsible production, distribution, and consumption of legal recreational cannabis. It was endorsed by 16 foundational members. And so I'd been looking for a little bit more support from the largest daily paper in the province. I'd been looking for coverage that spoke about cannabis and what we were doing in a more fulsome way. The issue is that I know public support for the new cannabis industry depends on education, on changing perceptions, and reducing stigmas. We've come a long way in cannabis already. The culture is being elevated. And it's been a pretty fast pace in the last couple of years. More and more jurisdictions are coming online all the time. And the industry is maturing. Governments are giving people the legal license to enjoy cannabis. It's the social license that needs a lot of work. And the storyline remains the same for many traditional publishers. Stigmas and stereotypes persist. So let me tell you a bit about me. I am a father, I am a husband, I am an entrepreneur, and I love cannabis. I'm not an everyday guy. I'm a guy who comes from the Maritimes, who uh, likes to try and who used to like to try and drink too many beers on Friday and Saturday night. And the older I got, uh, uh, the more I became uh, uh, interested in cannabis, and the more I realized it was a better and healthy option for me. I knew I wasn't the only one. There had to be others like me who enjoyed cannabis but didn't read High Times. We saw an opportunity. We saw an opportunity to engage in a conversation and in doing so to help reduce the stigma and elevate cannabis culture. When Civilized was born, it was just before Justin Trudeau's election uh, as prime minister and well before 
President Trump's election. <laughs> Suddenly, people felt a little bit more comfortable talking about their consumption. Civilized and other cannabis-focused media are working to educate and highlight the changing face of cannabis. And the new culture will increase the likelihood that we'll see a more progressive and consistent approach to cannabis legalization regulation around the world, which will create social change and economic development opportunities. So my call to action to everybody is just this. If you consume, if you, uh, if you enjoy cannabis, if you work in the industry, if you just simply support this industry and support cannabis, we need people to step forward and raise their hands. We need people to know that we're not potheads, or as I call these guys, classic cannabis consumers. Every year, Civilized commissions research with PSB uh, out of Washington. This last year, we found that one quarter of North Americans enjoyed cannabis, that uh, uh, half of those make $50,000 a year or more, and three quarters of them exercise at least once a week. But because two-thirds of people continue to hide their use, the stereotype persists. And by the way, uh, of those who don't consume, 40% say they fear being judged. And that's what's keeping them from enjoying cannabis. Since Donald Trump was elected, the 49th parallel has really become the boundary between certainty and uncertainty in cannabis. The money has followed. There will be taxes, there will be wealth that will be shifted from the black market to a legal one, to everybody's economic benefit, except the black market. Uh, uh, and then there's the social benefits. Uh, fewer arrests and fewer unnecessary records and incarcerations, the development of new forms of pain management uh, and medicine, a potential answer to the opioid crisis, and then there's just guys like me who like to party on Friday night. There is broad support uh, for these economic and social benefits, and there are millions of people out there, the canicurious, I call them, who want to enjoy cannabis for the first time. So reducing stigma and changing public perception will take education, corporate social responsibility, the media, uh, and community. We're going to do our part, but you can help. Because cannabis needs you. Cannabis needs role models. Role models like Chelsea Handler, who, in addition to saying some funny things last week, had some deep insights into uh, uh, female-specific cannabis stigmas. Role models like the CEOs, entrepreneurs, and policymakers who joined us at the World Cannabis Congress. <laughs> and role models like these, who remind us that cannabis can and should be fun. So, uh, role models like my fellow presenters and role models like all of you. Uh, whose support and leadership uh, will usher in the new cannabis revolution that we're all here to talk about today. Thank you. Derek, aren't we already uh, partially along that path that you advocate? Because once upon a time, it was called pot. Yeah. It was called weed. And now everybody calls it cannabis. Yeah, look, we're on that continuum, and there's, there's many of us who are further down the road than others, but we do have a long way to go. And as I said, 40% of people are fear, fearful just of, uh, uh, of what people are going to think of them. We need to elevate this culture. We need to change the story around this, and it starts with language. And I thought it was very intriguing and, uh, and uh, interesting of you to call your publication Civilized. It starts with language. Moses, thank All you. All right, thank you. Thank Thanks for listening to Idea City on the Air. 
Catch Moses Neimer's Idea City Conference live every June in Toronto or on regularly scheduled radio and TV shows throughout the year. And find hundreds of talks online every day at ideacity.ca. Welcome to Idea City on the Air. By the end of the next half hour, you'll be inspired and enlightened by the world's biggest ideas, innovations, and breakthroughs as you hear about them in talks from the planet's smartest people. Moses Neimer's three-day annual Idea City conference in Toronto has been called Canada's premier meeting of the minds, and we're glad to have your mind with us. In this episode of Idea City on the Air, Topher White speaks about defending the rainforest. To sort of set you up, I'm going to take you into the rainforest. So, this is the sound of Indonesia and Sumatra. I visited Sumatra for the very first time in 2012. And it's the overwhelming sound that kind of strikes you the most when you're there. This cacophony of noise. But there's some things that do kind of stick out. This is a cicada. And these, these are gibbons singing to each other from a distance. That's what the forest sounds like all the time. Um, but actually, when I first visited this place, uh, I, this is a gibbon sanctuary, uh, a place where they rehabilitate these baby gibbons uh, to be released into the wild. I didn't realize that actually they were spending a lot of their time uh, trying to protect the outskirts of that reserve from illegal logging. And they had three full-time guards, but they actually weren't able to know where the, where the chainsaws were the entire time because it was so big, it was so noisy. Uh, and one day, I went walking off in the forest and stumbled on, uh, on you know, these, these uh, loggers who managed to get away. Uh, but it struck me this was kind of ridiculous and something I wanted to, uh, to address. I'm from Silicon Valley, from San Francisco, uh, and I figured that technology must play a part in this. Um, so what was there out there? There were people who wanted to stop it. Uh, there was actually pretty good cell phone service. Everyone's on Facebook and surfing the web. There's no roads, no running water, no electricity, but you know, they charge their phones once a day and they can actually connect. Uh, so you know, in, uh, in my naivety, I came up with this great idea. So the moment a chainsaw goes off in the forest, it's, the sound gets picked up by this device in the tree, which over that network transmits to the cloud, which fixes uh, you know, the signal, sends it to go to the guards, and they get like, what? And they jump on there. <laughs> motorcycles and they get out there and they stop the logger on the spot. Real footage, you guys. It's real footage. Um, but still, you'd need some kind of device to get this done. 1.5 billion smartphones were, uh, were bought last year. A lot of them were thrown away, too. So um, about 150 million smartphones are thrown away uh, in the U.S. alone last year. And it turns out those phones are pretty awesome little computers, little sensors. They can connect to the networks that are there, put them in a box with a microphone and some solar panels, and you can actually accomplish this, uh, this task of being able to monitor the forest um, with trash. And, uh, and then, of course, it's one thing to build it in San Francisco, but you've got to get it out in the field. So I took it back to Indonesia, put it up in a tree, uh, and on the second day it was up there, picked up the sounds of chainsaws, uh, you know, we put it up there, these guys had climbed up, uh, they got back down, they're smoking a cigarette, everyone's just chilling. I get this uh, email on my phone, and it says there's a chainsaw in the distance, and we quiet down, and it turns out that uh, there was. So we took off and ran through the forest. Um, and this is when I kind of realized, when I got there, that this might not have been the best idea <laughs> in the world. 
but that guy, oh, he's moving, so now I gotta move. Uh, and we go up over the hill um, and, uh, and actually interrupt the loggers um, in the act. And this was sort of the moment when I, when I sort of realized that the right people, these are the people that, uh, the, these guards, these, these uh, rangers, they could really make a difference if they just were able to know where they were supposed to get soon enough. And it should be automatic for them. So this is the sound of that chainsaw, uh, a chainsaw in the forest. And you can pick it out automatically. Beyond that, it's, it's not just about picking out chainsaws, right? So why do we want to protect the forest? There's really cute animals in the forest. Everyone knows that. These are the reasons that we want to protect it, right? Mm -hmm. But well beyond that, there may be things that, that are much more urgent. So like climate change. Uh, it turns out that climate, of climate change, all the carbon that's released into the world every year, uh, almost a fifth of that comes from deforestation, more than all the transportation put together, more than all the cars, planes, trucks, ships combined. None of that adds up to the carbon emissions uh, from deforestation. Um, and 90% of the logging in the rainforest is illegal. And if it's illegal, then there's a mandate to stop it. And so we can work with local partners and old technology to be able to accomplish this. And it turns out that logging, well, all deforestation is not from logging. A lot of it's from agriculture. Logging is so, illegal logging is so profitable that that's what actually creates the roads. And the roads themselves are the harbinger of doom for the forest. Because once those roads are there, uh, that actually leads to the wholesale destruction of the forest from other activities. So if you can stop illegal logging, which there's a mandate to do, and people who would do it, then you can actually, uh, it might be the fastest, cheapest way for us to fight climate change today. Uh, and it uses what's already there. That's, what's, that's what I kind of love. So it's one thing to test it in Indonesia, Africa. Let's take it to Brazil, the biggest rainforest in the world. So if you look at Brazil, you have this kind of uh, ocean deforestation with these islands of pretty intact forest out there. Like, what are those? Are those protected areas? Turns out they're actually indigenous reserves. These are places like Indian reservations um, in the US and Canada uh, that, uh, that have been, you know, they, they technically belong to the tribes but they're actually not that well under control. Um, this is the Tembe Reserve, uh, the Tembe tribe, and it's the Tembe themselves. Um, and actually in 2014, when we met them, uh, this entire purple area was controlled by illegal loggers, settlers, and uh, drug cartels. Um, and just going from village to village would be like this. They'd just be driving from one town to the next, uh, and they'd run across these huge trucks filled with wood, well-armed, brand new, uh, just taking wood from their land, obviously very dangerous for the tribes. Um, but for them, they kind of knew that this was an existential struggle for them. Uh, so uh, they kind of suited up. Um, they trained 30 rangers to be able to take this on. This area is really big. It's about 1,000 square miles of forest, about the size of Yosemite National Park. Um, but they realized that they had to take this on. Um, but it's a really big area, and so how would they actually be able to do that? Well, it turns out there actually is cell phone service around this, but it's a good, you know, 15, 20 miles from the edge of the edge of this um, this reserve. So you know, normally when you want to you know create cell phone service or extend it, you have to build a tower. But what else is there in the forest that's pretty tall uh, that you can use just like a tower? Trees. So we started to learn how to climb trees, uh, and we worked with the tribe to be able to do that. And when you can put one of these devices way up top in the tree, you can hear sounds from you know kilometers away. You can pick up cell service from 15, 20 kilometers away. Um, and because these things are made with cell phones, uh, we can actually hand this, this uh, depiction off to them entirely. Because the antenna is uh, most fragile and sensitive. So this is uh, the chief's son, Elivar Tembe, learning how to put one of these devices together. Yeah, that's good. Just like the garage. Old cell phones are available to almost anybody all the time. And these aren't trash. These are actually really, really powerful little computers. They can connect to the networks that are there. They can record the sound. They can do all this great processing. The hard parts, of course, have to do with making it possible to power them and making sure they can actually pick up sounds from a great distance. But all these are things that you can do with pretty standard electronics. Cool. Brock. 
Pronto. Catu. So they managed to set these things up um, across the perimeter of the reserve. Um, and, uh, and over time picked up the sounds of some, uh, some chainsaws. I'm actually going to show you what it's like to be able to pick these things out, because again, it's not people listening. Um, it's actually a bridge over from, uh, from the first day and a little bit of what um, we heard in the last talk uh, about AI. This is using artificial intelligence in the cloud. We're streaming all the audio off of these phones and picking out uh, the sounds of chainsaws. So this is a pretty obvious one. This, you guys can hear that chainsaw, right? This is actually just from uh, May, so that led to an alert. Um, but it's the really subtle things. You heard the forest is really, really noisy. So what about this one? Raise your hand if you hear the chainsaw. All right, that's pretty good. Good speaker system, you guys. Okay, it's, it's, it's pretty subtle, uh, and if you're in the forest, you might not hear it, but the AI is able to pick this out pretty well. Uh, and so we're attempting to use uh, really cheap technology in the field, really standard things like cell phone networks to be able to, uh, to use high-tech technology um, software to be able to pick it out. Uh, and actually, this alert that you heard uh, led to uh, the time we were able to mobilize. Picked up the sounds of logging trucks. And so at the end of that road, there were about two dozen uh, Tembe guards who were able to stop the truck, and they were able to burn the truck, leave it on the outside, seize a lot of other equipment, and uh, disrupt these operations. Some of the best things we can do is provide them with technology and support to get it done. It's not just about them as well, it's also about other ways that we can connect, like, you know, basically if we're streaming all the audio out of the forest, uh, it turns out that we can also create an app that allows you to listen to live sounds of the forest from anywhere in the world. So this is from Ecuador. So well beyond that, uh, it's also about what, what else can we pick out from the forest? Because the good news is that in situations like the Tembe, if you can actually stop loggers on the spot, they'll go away for a little while, usually like a few months or a season. Uh, but at the same time, we're going to stream all that stuff out. So how else can we make that useful? Well, let's go back to Indonesia, to the forest that's out there. It turns out that from the sound of the forest, the cacophony of noise, the same techniques that we use to pick out chainsaws, we can immediately make available to all the ecologists and biologists out there so that we can instantly start categorizing in real time, as well as archival, uh, all the sounds coming out of the forest and build the biggest audio arc, um, almost like a saved archive of the entire world. But at the end of the day, this is kind of what uh, you know, the device looks like, but the really important part is just the phone on the inside. And so uh, very soon we hope to be able to make it possible to just download this software onto your phone from the Play Store, put it on your windowsill, and start learning about all of the uh, amazing things happening in the backyard. Because again, it's not about any particular technology. It's about all of the technological detritus that's lying around. Cell phones are so cool. If we can make the right software and find the right people to use them, then we can really make a difference, and we absolutely can save the forest and the environment overall. Thanks, guys. Hey. Great one, Topher. That's, uh, that's so disarming. <laughs> I mean, you made it sound really so simple in a way. Climbing those trees is a bit dangerous. Oh, that's, that's the easy part. Yeah. That's the easy so part. have you mobilized? I mean, oh, teams yeah. now all over the world? Teams would... all over the world. Uh, we've been able to aid in the protection of about 1,000 square miles of forest. But we think we can triple that, actually, um, by uh, this time next year. It was really a great inspiration. Jimmy, would you? Wow. Thanks, guys. Okay. Thanks a lot. Hey. Come join us.
Yeah. Um, well, just before you go, oh, who yeah. is us? Oh, it's Rainforest Connection. Uh, we're working with Saks Underwear, uh, who've uh, who really sort of trying to, to make it show that, that people around the world can make a difference, just guys can make a difference. Uh, but um, visit the booth outside and learn more about it. Uh, Rainforest Connection and Saks working together to protect the rainforest. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Coming up after the break. Everything is a little bit better when I'm stoned. That was the takeaway of the New Brunswick Telegraph Journal after last week's inaugural World Cannabis Congress. For more information about Idea City, find us online at ideacity.ca, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or youtube.com slash ideacity. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.